So this fall, we've been looking at the stories of Jesus, primarily from the Gospel of Matthew, even though we've ventured into a few of the other Gospels. And we've been doing this so that we can get to know Jesus better, uh, asking who is Jesus? What did he teach? How did he live? How did he interact with people? And what does he call us to be and to do as his followers, as his disciples? Today, I want to talk about a subject that affects every single one of us here this morning, and that is the subject of fear, which also includes worry and anxiety, both of which are tied to fear. If I ask you this question today, what are you most afraid of in life? How would you answer that? What are the things that you find yourself worrying about, thinking about, um, what gives you anxiety? What keeps you on edge? What keeps you awake at night? How would you answer that question? We need to acknowledge that we live in a world that is full of fear. Uh, people live in fear every day of what might or could go wrong. Everything is breaking news. Uh, everything is keeping us bombarded with uh, text messages and alerts and, and up-to-date, you need to know this, you need to know that. People are outraged all the time. Politics is uh, kind of a mess. Our country is divided and, and polarized. Uh, some people find themselves worrying all the time about other things, things like money and health care and, and children and grandchildren and safety. Uh, some tend to play out the worst-case scenario in their minds, even though they know that that will probably not happen and usually doesn't happen. But I want you to think about the subject of fear this morning. I want you to think about the role that it plays in your own life, and then I want you to think about the way that Jesus encountered it and dealt with it throughout his life and throughout his ministry. Think about these things. When he was tempted in the wilderness, before he started his ministry, turn these stones into, uh, into bread, throw yourself off the temple, bow down and worship me, he did not give in. He looked at the devil in the eye and three times he said, no, I will not do that. When it came time to go and recruit the disciples, Jesus didn't hesitate. He said, come, follow me and I will change your life. And so they stopped, they dropped their nets and whatever else they were doing and they followed him. When he gave his most famous address that we call the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he talked about worry, which is what Pharaoh read this morning. He said, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? This might be the most ignored scripture in the entire Bible. When he and the disciples were on a boat, they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, and a big storm comes up, and the disciples are terrified. They thought that they were going to die. They thought the boat was going to flip over. And where was Jesus? He was asleep. And when they woke him up, he said, why are you afraid? You have little faith. And then he stood up and he rebuked the winds and the waves until there was a dead calm. In one version of the Gospels, he said, peace, be still. And the storm died down. 
In Matthew 10, he says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. What the heck does that mean? Don't be afraid of earthly things, even death itself. Trust in God. Only fear God. One day he was teaching on a hillside outside of town, and uh, there was a huge crowd that followed him. The Bible says maybe 5,000 people, plus women and children. Everybody was hungry, and the disciples were getting worried, and they said, Lord, it's getting late. Let's let these people go so they can go back into the village and get some food. But Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat. And he took five loaves and two fish. He blessed it, and there was plenty left over to feed the entire crowd and then some. One day, Jesus went up the mountain to pray. He told the disciples to get in the boat, go to the other side. The boat was far from the land. It was being battered by the waves. And early in the morning, Jesus comes towards them, walking on the water. And again, the disciples are terrified. You know, it seems like when you read the Gospels, the disciples are always afraid. They're always terrified. But Jesus says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he commands Peter to come and walk on the water. And if you remember, Peter's doing fine until he takes his eyes off Jesus and then he starts to sink. One day a really rich guy comes up to Jesus and says, hey, teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And he rattles them off. And the man says, yeah, I've kept all those since my youth. Uh, What still do I lack? And Jesus took a long pause and he said, well, you still lack one thing. Go and sell everything that you own and give your money to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And this man went away sad because he had many possessions. They defined him. It's how he was known. He couldn't begin to imagine his life without his stuff and so it terrified him. Think about the courage that Jesus showed when he rode into Jerusalem at the beginning of Holy Week. He knew that the authorities had it out for him. He had already predicted his death three times. With the Romans looking on, the Jews cheering, waving palm branches, Jesus enters Jerusalem fully knowing the danger of what is to come. Later that week when he's mocked, he's beaten, forced to carry his cross, he does it. He's nailed to the cross, perhaps the most brutal form of execution throughout history. He keeps his courage all the way. He knew that God would have the final word. I would propose to you this morning, in light of all these teachings, all these lessons that we learn about fear and courage and anxiety in the Gospels, that if we are to be true followers of Jesus Christ, then we must deal with our fears. We must show courage when dealing with the things that we would rather not deal with, including facing death itself. Henry Nouwen says this, The more people I come to know and the more I come to know people, the more I am overwhelmed by the negative power of fear. It often seems that fear has invaded every part of our lives that we no longer know what a life without fear is like. Fear pervades our bodies individually and communally. So many people let their thinking, their speaking, and their acting be motivated by fear. We fear for ourselves, and we fear for our neighbors. We fear that something terrible is going to happen. That's what Nowen writes. But here's the truth. When fear takes over in our hearts and our minds, we don't have 
quality of life. When fear takes over, we cannot enjoy the present moment. When fear takes over, it affects our health, it affects our relationships, it affects our interactions with others. When fear takes over, faith gets pushed out because the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. There's an existential theologian by the name of Paul Tillich that I encountered uh, in seminary. Um, Tillich taught at Harvard, he taught at Union Seminary, but he has written extensively on the subject of fear and anxiety. And, um, And Tillich said, and I've always, this has always stuck with me, he says, if you think of all your fears, all your anxieties in life, they will all come back into one of three buckets. The first, he says, is the fear of death, or non-being, as he calls it. The second, he says, is the fear of meaninglessness or emptiness, this thought that our lives won't uh, account for anything, that, that they won't be significant. And the third bucket is the fear of judgment by other people or guilt that we have ourselves for things that have happened in the past. So he says those three things, fear of death, fear of meaninglessness, fear of judgment by others, you can trace all of your fears in life back to one of those buckets. But then he says there's a difference though between fear and anxiety. Do you know what that is? He says fear is not the same thing as anxiety. They're related. They're evil twins. (laughs) They're, they're, uh, they're, 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 They're cousins. But fear, he says, has an object. We can name it, face it. I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of public speaking. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of being abandoned in life. I'm afraid of running out of money. I'm afraid that others won't respect me. I'm afraid that my child isn't going to measure up. But anxiety, he says, is basically fear of the unknown. It's where we know that we're afraid, but we don't know exactly what we're afraid of. So we can't name it, but we know that we're afraid, and it's it's even more difficult because we can't face it. We can't think about it. We can't analyze it. We can't prepare for it. So we're anxious, and we're on edge, and that defines a lot of our culture right now. Everybody is just a little bit on edge. It's anxiety and it's twin worry that I think Jesus is addressing here in Matthew chapter 6. And again, I really believe that this just might be the most ignored passage of Scripture in the entire Bible when it comes to the way that we live our lives. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What are the takeaways from this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34? First of all, beginning with verse 25, he is saying that if we believe that God gives us life in the first place, then why wouldn't we believe that the same God will provide for our basic needs? If God gives us life, then surely we can trust God to give us food and shelter and clothing and all the other things that sustain life. Now, having faith does not mean that everything is going to work out the way that we planned, the way that we drew it up, but it does mean that God will take care of us no matter what happens. 
even if we have to go through things we didn't want, even if we have to go through things that we, we didn't expect or didn't choose, God will take care of us. You know, last week we were looking at the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, and we talked about how life isn't fair. And there's so many things that happen in life to us, to our loved ones, where we say, that's not fair, that, that's not right, that's not, that's not just. And guess what? Life isn't fair. There are things that happen that don't make sense. There are things that happen that we can't explain, but God is still faithful and God takes care of us even when we go through things that we didn't choose or that we didn't want. But let's add something here this morning. As Christians, we must remember that God also works through us to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, to bring the kingdom of God to earth especially to those who are less fortunate. Think about the homeless. Think about those who are hungry. Think about those who have been cast aside by society. Think about those who don't have a voice. Think about those who, who just had their lives upended and ruined in the Bahamas by the hurricane. Room in the Inn is coming up. Deb LaForge is gonna talk about that during our moment for mission. Morgan Scott mission trip is, is, is happening. President Jimmy Carter was in Nashville this past week building a Habitat House, an organization that he loves. And even at the age of 95, and you watch him hold a hammer and you're like, whoa, <laughs> be careful there, President Carter. But he's still out there building Habitat Houses for people that need it. We can go and tutor at Fall Hamilton. Um, the way that we treat the least of these, Jesus says, is a direct reflection of our faith. Faith without works is dead. God works through us to alleviate the pain and the suffering of other people. Second takeaway from this passage this morning. Jesus basically makes the case, he makes the argument that worry is useless. When we worry, we cannot change the past, we cannot control the future, all we can do is ruin the present. And many of us are really good at doing that. In verse 27, Jesus says, and can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your span of life? And the answer has always been clear, we can't. You know, worry is really a weak substitute for our inability to control certain things. So if we can't control it, then we decide to worry about it. It doesn't accomplish anything. It gives us something to do, but it's not healthy. Uh, praying is a much better option. Pray about it, turn it over to God, let it go. In addition to being useless, worry is also unhealthy. People can take years off of their life by sitting around and worrying all the time. You know, doctors will tell you that when people come in with whatever their issue might be, underneath a lot of it is usually a strong sense of fear and anxiety. And that makes whatever the condition is even worse than it would be otherwise. Third, Jesus says that worry is characteristic of a non-believer as one who does not know the true nature of God in verse 32 he says it's the Gentiles who strive for all these things and indeed your heavenly father knows that you need all these things biblical scholar William Barclay puts it this way worry is essentially distrust of God and such a distrust might be understandable in a heathen who believes in a jealous capricious unpredictable God but it's beyond comprehension in one who has learned to call God by the name of Father. The Christian cannot worry because he or she believes 
in the unconditional love of God, and that should help take away and alleviate our worry. If we're worrying all the time, we have to stop and ask ourselves, where's the faith? Where's the faith? Fourth, it was Jesus' conviction that worry and fear is conquered when the kingdom of God becomes the dominating power in our lives. In verse 33, he says, Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And since the kingdom of God is about love and putting others first and showing kindness and empathy and compassion, then it can be said that if we learn to love others the way that Christ loved us, then our worries and our fears will begin to subside. And we can live the way that God intends for us to live. We can have quality of life. Jesus said in John 10, life in all of its fullness, all of its abundance. One of my favorite passages of scripture is 1 John 4. It was read at Megan's in my wedding 10 years ago, which says this, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You know, Megan and I uh, have this read because it's so true. And I come back to this passage because it's it's so true, and we need to hear it time and time again. The more we love, the less we fear. But the more we fear, the less we're loving. Love drives out fear. Uh, but guess what? Fear also drives out love. It works both ways. Lastly this morning, Jesus says this, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The Jews at the time had a saying that went like this, do not worry over tomorrow's evils, for you know not what today will bring. Perhaps tomorrow you will not be alive and you will have worried for a world which will not be yours. You see, it was Jesus's steadfast belief that we should deal with life one day at a time and not become overly anxious or worried about the future. If we are able to do this, then not only will our fear and our anxiety subside, but we will allow ourselves to enjoy the present. And if you think about it, the present is all we have. It's all we have. Life is what happens to you while you're, you're preoccupied and distracted and making plans for the future. Your life is lived out in that time. Life will pass you by if you're not careful. Now, I want to close this morning with a word about peace because we need something to replace our fear and our worry in life. And I would, I would submit to you that that word is peace. Um, if we want to decrease the amount of fear and worry, we must replace it with peace. And I think peace, goodwill, kindness, we need more of that in our world. We need more of that in our families. We need more of that in our church. We need more of that in our marriages. Peace starts in our own hearts, and then it spreads to other people. And Jesus talks about a peace that passes understanding. Here are some thoughts about peace. Peace comes when we experience the transforming power of forgiveness, because we've all been hurt and we all need to forgive. You guys have heard me define forgiveness before as a recipe for survival, and I believe that in life. Human beings hurt each other. If we don't learn to forgive, we're going to bear grudges and hold on to that, and it's not healthy. Peace comes when we understand that we cannot control everything, 
And so we just choose to not worry about it instead. Peace comes when we can differentiate ourselves and not get sucked in to unnecessary conflict with people who are not peaceful. You don't have to respond to everything. You don't have to res respond to every jab. Uh, you, you don't have to respond. It takes two people to go at it. Peace comes when we learn to embrace the present moment and we stop regretting the past and we stop worrying about the future. You know, we can only live in the present. It's all we have, but we can ruin the present if we're still in the past or if we're worried about the future. And peace comes, I think, through self-awareness and first finding peace within our own hearts. You can't be a peacemaker in life if you are at war in your own heart. Those who are most combative, most angry, most aggressive are almost always those who are not at peace with themselves. And so they take it out on everybody else. So that begs the question, how do we make peace with ourselves? And I think it starts with prayer. I think it starts with forgiveness. I think it starts with gratitude, being grateful for the blessings that we have, not always focusing on what we don't have, what other people have. Being at peace with ourselves is something that we will spend our entire lives trying to figure out, but it's impossible to experience peace until you first find it in your own heart. That's where it starts. Let me leave you with these words. These words are about courage. We need courage to be who we are. Strength and courage to be who we are. When trouble assails us and confidence fails us, we need courage to take a stand. We need courage to be where we are, just to be fully free where we are. When scorned and neglected, despised and rejected, we need courage to take a stand. There's no need to search for an island where everybody loves your name, for as soon as you'll find it, you'll soon be surrounded by people playing the same old games. So I've come to this blessed conclusion that no matter where I am, I can be fully me, courageous and free, if I can remember whose I am. May God give all of us the strength and the courage to conquer our fears and anxiety in life. Amen.